This is Ann Janzer, author of Get the Word Out, Write a Book That Makes a Difference. And you are listening to the always inspiring and informative Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, and thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in or you'd like to learn more about, send me a connection invite on LinkedIn where we can chat and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. But, and this is important, make sure to include a message with your connection invite telling me that you're a marketing book podcast listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer. This episode is sponsored by Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings at no cost? You can with Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. It's a new, very advanced, and easy-to-use free SEO tool that will scan your site and prioritize precisely what you need to fix to improve your search results. And it's so easy to use... Even a podcast host can use it. Check it out at hrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. I'll tell you more about it in a few minutes. Now, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome back Ann Janser to talk about her latest book, Get the Word Out, Write a Book That Makes a Difference, published by Cuesta Park. Ann Janser is an award-winning author, nonfiction writing coach, and unabashed writing geek on a mission to help people make a positive impact with their writing. She supports and encourages writers, authors, and marketers through her books, blog posts, online courses, webinars, and teaching. Her writing-related books explore the science and practice of effective writing. They include The Writer's Process, The Workplace Writer's Process, and Writing to be Understood, all three of which have won multiple awards. Before she started writing books, Anne worked as a freelance marketing writer working with more than 100 technology businesses to articulate positioning and messaging in crowded markets. This work led to her first book, Subscription Marketing, which has been translated into multiple languages. Anne is a graduate of Stanford University, and interesting fact, she graduated from the same high school as Humphrey Bogart, George W. Bush, New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick, and Facebook co-founder Chris Hughes. Anne, congratulations on Get the Word Out, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks for having me back. For Douglas, like a bad penny, I just keep showing up. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That's me. And I think that we should explain right off the bat what's going on here and what a trooper and Janser is. So we recorded this interview oh, over a week ago, and it was really probably the best interview I ever ever did. And at the, very, at the very end, my new computer died, and I lost the entire interview. And it's been over 300 interviews. That's the first time it ever happened. And just to show you what a trooper and Janser is, I said, Anne, I am so sorry this happened. It's never happened before. And and said, Douglas, I, I just can't let these things bother me. This is, this is no big deal. And then she told the story about how she went to get a coronavirus vaccine, and it was like the first time in 15 months she had to be somewhere else at a specific time. She goes to get the vaccine, flat tire. <laughs> Her husband had to jump in and, and, and help out and all that. Anyway, she got vaccinated. I know uh, that's, that's a good thing. And you said, it's, it's okay, Douglas, these things happen. And I thought, gosh, you know, Ann Janser, maybe you should become an honorary member of the Marketing Book Podcast Four-Timers Club, <laughs> because <laughs> technically you're now a member of the Marketing Book Podcast Three-Timers Club. And it's also special because I, I mentioned you went to Stanford, and the only reason I say that is because for some weird reason, there are more authors that have been on the Marketing Book Podcast with Stanford degrees than any other school. It's like some sort of 
you know, conspiracy uh, out there. So if Anne laughs at any of my jokes, um, it, it'll have to be because it wasn't one that I told the first time we did this interview. <laughs> I do have to say, though, you know, regarding that the, our last misfire is that um, – I am better with rehearsal, so probably this will be an even more brilliant conversation than we had. <laughs> oh, good, good. Well, it's fun talking to you anyway, and I think we would do it. Uh, you, you were nice enough to come on last year about this time for authors in quarantine getting cocktails. Yeah. And I've interviewed you twice uh, before, the first time about uh, subscription marketing and the second time about writing to be understood. And... The first time that I reached out to Anne about subscription marketing, I had been reading. I knew who she was. I'd seen some things she'd published. I, you know, reached out to her, and you know, she kind of, you know, blew me off. She never responded. And <laughs> what Anne didn't realize is that, you know, I'm the guy who, in high school, invited the head cheerleader to the prom, even though she was dating the quarterback of the football team. But you know. Did she say no? Yeah, very quickly, actually. Uh, but that's okay. You know, I, once you've faced enough uh, rejection and setbacks, it's it's really no big deal. Anyway, she came on and she made the mistake of laughing at one of my jokes, which, you know, troubles my wife because she's always telling people at cocktail parties, please, 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 no, don't, don't, don't laugh at his jokes. It'll only <laughs> encourage you. You're like the trumpet section in an orchestra. You know, they are, <laughs> the conductor says, don't look at the trumpets. It just encourages them. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do want to say one thing for the listener. Uh, this is a book about writing a book. And everything we're going to talk about, though, really applies to really any kind of content that you might be producing, like a, a book, a presentation, a blog post, a podcast. And even I, I, I think of a salesperson who doesn't even have any content on their own to share, but they're curating it. It's the exact way of thinking that will make someone uh, effective that way. And for me, I, I, as you everyone knows, I have such admiration for folks like you who write these books, but then someone who writes a book about writing a book, <laughs> they're like the decathletes. And uh, so there's only been two authors on the show that I've, I've interviewed about that, you and Anne Hanley. So the natural question is, to become one of those writing decathletes, does it help to be named Anne? Yeah, maybe so. I mean, I have such respect for Anne Handley. I love her so much. Um, I, I think what it helps is to be uh, foolish, maybe. <laughs> it's There's a certain uh, meta quality to it. It certainly, certainly makes you raise your game as a writer when you're writing about writing, because you have to try to, you know, exemplify the stuff you're writing about. And that... Uh, that certainly is it. It's a challenge. I, I recommend it to anyone who wants to improve their writing. It, there is some saying about, you know, you really understand something when you go to teach it. Yes. And I, I think it's true that you really understand something when you go to, to write about it in, an, in a way to explain or encourage others. Yes, I can imagine. Uh, so, Anne, I do want to properly acknowledge that you are now a member of the Marketing Book Podcast Three Timers Club. Oh, and I'm so excited. There's going to be a lot of free upgrades. I don't know what the upgrades are yet, but they are free. Um, but when you go to one of the two Taco Bells in the San Luis Obispo area, and yes, there are two, I checked. A lot of research <laughs> goes into these podcasts, I folks. know. I know you're very diligent. <laughs> yeah. And just pull up to the place where you order. Don't get out of the car. Don't yeah, go in okay. there. I don't know. Right. Don't don't go in Taco Bell. But pull up to the little speaker and just mention that you're a member of the Marketing Book Podcast Three Timers Club and things are gonna start happening. And just take it from the other members of the Marketing Book Podcast Three Timers Club. Just you know, let us know how it goes. Things will happen. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Good. And actually you could let us know what Anne and I are gonna try and do for you, the listener, is have a clubhouse uh conversation where you can join us. So this is scheduled to publish on Friday, May 7th. And then what we're going to try and do is the following Thursday, May 13th at noon Eastern time, nine o'clock in California, where Anne lives, we're going to get on Clubhouse and answer your questions. Uh, you can ask me questions, but I think it'd be more interesting to ask Anne questions and just 
we'll go from there. It sky's the limit. Anything you want to talk about, and if this works out well, we'll we'll try and do this on a, on a regular basis. It adds a lot more interactivity to it. So just make sure. That, uh, right now, Clubhouse is only on the Apple iOS. It'll be on the um, Android device before long because uh, I know Clubhouse just got a whole lot more venture capital money. <laughs> mm, okay. And uh, but you can get on Clubhouse and, and listen in. Uh, I, I think it'll be fun. So we're gonna do that. I look forward to that because you have the very best listeners, Douglas. I'm just I do. Telling you, I'm just telling you from experience. So yes, and I know group. Yeah. they they do like you, and they've told me that, and I think they've they've contacted you, and uh, yeah, and and they are the best looking too. I don't yeah, know if you've well, seen them, but the very we, good looking people listen to the Marketing Book Podcast. We won't be able to tell that on Clubhouse, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah. It's true. I've met a number <laughs> of them, and I see them because a lot of them connect with me on LinkedIn, and I see them, and I. Actually, they're good looking, but they're even more. Many of them are, are quite accomplished. So they're obviously, in all seriousness, they are. They all have a learning mindset, and yeah. they, they obviously like what they're doing as as marketers or salespeople or business owners. So, anyway, I got this book from Ann Janser, and in the book, she wrote, uh, she wrote a very nice note, which I have here. And you wrote, "Here's a book you don't have to read for your podcast." Yep, <laughs> like. <laughs> So I thought, oh wow, well let me let me let me take a look at it anyway because I, I I like what you write and um, I'm interested in this and people saying, oh Douglas, maybe you should write a book. So I read, I get to about a page 150 before I knew it. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, oh well played, Janser. And it's it's a very short book. It's 175 pages, something like that. So I read through it and I just thought, no no no, this is way beyond just writing a book. It's a great book about. Content and of course, naturally, it reminded me so much of writing to be understood. It's really about your your reader, and if yep. you can just get in their head a little bit better, you're you're going to be more successful. But also, as I was reading it, it was almost like I was saying, "I'm not I'm not going to write a book." Then, as I was reading it, I was thinking, "Wait a minute, maybe, maybe I could do this." Ah, <laughs> mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. I I am. They're the one encouraging, cheerleading, you know, not trying to mislead people. I'm not trying to say, you know, you'll be a, a million seller, you know, things, but I am, uh, I just think that the process of doing this can be so wonderful and transformative. And uh, so I am often encouraging people who are sitting on the fence like you, Douglas, yes. to, uh, to just tip over. So Well, it Good. worked. It worked because it even inspired me because I started writing things in here that weren't relevant to this interview, but just ideas I had that I could that I could apply, and I, oh, doggone it, and ooh, I'll get you. There you go. Well, let me just read this opening excerpt. Anne writes, the typical nonfiction book opens with a story to grab your interest and entice you into the pages that follow. You'll find many stories in this book, but right now, let's focus on the story that only you can tell, yours. Why did you pick up this book? Maybe you want to write a book for business reasons. You've seen the impact that a book has on someone else's career. Perhaps you want to contribute to your field, to be a thought leader, and to make a difference by sharing ideas that are important to you. Perhaps your life experiences could offer important insights for others. Many of us live on the cusp of doing something meaningful without ever taking action. We wait or deflect responsibility, assuming that someone more expert than us will speak up. You're reading this book because you don't want to wait any longer. Why not act on that desire now? This book is about using a sense of a purpose, the difference you want to make, to inspire, guide, and inform the process of writing a book at every step. It's about starting with the positive impact you want to have for your readers and then working your way to that point. Your purpose can be large or small, global or unique to your industry or interests. The key is to focus on the value your book delivers to its readers. By doing that, you will discover the lasting value of writing a book. So, Anne, at the beginning of the book, you talk about the concept that many people may have heard of called servant leadership, and you tie that to writing a book. Can you explain that connection? I'm trying to use it uh, almost as a metaphor, because I know that a lot of your listeners will be familiar with the the concept of servant leadership, which is that... uh, you know, a, a leader is there to serve the people that they're leading and the communities in which they're operating. Um, so it's not about the glorification of the leader and the, the power, the power. <laughs> it's, a, it's about what you do with that power and the difference you make with it. Um, 
And I think that, you know, I would sure as heck, if I were working in corporate America, rather work for someone who believed in and practiced the concept of servant leadership. Um, so I want to make the parallel with with writing. Uh, you can write a book because you want everyone to know how brilliant you are and how smart you are, or you can write a book because you have these ideas that you want to share with people. You know that there are people who are going to find real, genuine value in what you want to say. And this is actually true, whether you're writing a book or a blog, uh, you know, even a, a presentation, an email, whatever. Uh, what is the value that someone's going to get from it? And when you put that kind of a, uh, a cast on what you do. It changes your decisions. Um, it makes your writing better, quite frankly, because it makes it more effective because you're thinking about what the reader needs, what the audience needs. So uh, I thought I'd just try to, you know, grab onto the coattails of the servant leadership idea and say, hey, wait, there's this servant authorship yes. thing. <laughs> well, and for me, I can't stop thinking about this one client a few years ago where they wanted to start a separate email newsletter, and uh, we were talking about what we wanted to do with that. And we had produced a lot of content. And anyway, he basically said, well, we want to talk about the projects we've done and the services we offer. <laughs> that always troubled me. Yeah. And it's almost like I wanted to say, I could have quoted you right there. I said, what, what value is that going to have <laughs> for the yeah. recipient? <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I know. I, I, you know, worked with companies who said, "Oh, we we have this article. Let's talk about how brilliant our CEO is." I'm like, "Well, why? Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, maybe it's a good thing to do for your personal career within the organization, but I'm not sure it's a good use of this this media space." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, and you write that you had some misconceptions uh, about being an author that that kept you from writing longer than you did. Talk, talk about those, because those may be something that a lot of listeners uh, struggle with as well. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we we have this sense, oh God, there's so many. We have all these gatekeepers, right? And we so we assume it's the the industry has always been the gatekeeper in, in the past, you know, couple, many years ago, I wanted well, to write like a Like a book. publishing house. Like a publishing house. Yeah. Like you've got to get an agent. And, and yeah. I still, a lot of people, you know, still, I've got to get an agent and that's hard. And, and the publishing business is hard and I'm not a celebrity and, you know, I'll never do this. Um, and, and it just looks like the hurdles are so high. You know, mm -hmm. first of all, until you run at the hurdle, you don't know how high you can jump. But um, it, there's also this... Uh, you know, I, I started in on working on a book many, many years ago, and I just thought I had to have the really clear idea of the book. And I didn't know, you know, I, I did like one interview, I'm like, ah, I don't know what I'm doing. And then that was, I just, uh, you know, I, I abandoned it because I, I did the interview and I just felt like I'm such a fraud. I don't, I'm not an author. I'm not a journalist. Why would I write this book? No one's going to, no one's going to do it. So another misconception is that you have to really understand precisely what this gem of a book is um, before you really jump into working on it. And, you know, for me, sometimes it is actually the work that gives me the insight. You don't, you don't necessarily get the insight until you're really, you know, in the weeds kind of struggling with it. Um, so that's another misconception. And, and then finally, there are the inner gatekeepers saying, well, I'm not enough of an expert. I mean, I think when I wrote subscription marketing, I certainly had that dialogue going. It's like, well, people, I'm working with all these software companies, but nobody's hiring me to do the part of the work that I'm talking about in the book. But that's why I'm writing the book, because nobody is willing to, to work on marketing to the customers after the sale, and they need to. So I just kind of put aside that I'm not enough of an expert and figured, I'm curious, I can look around, I can research, I can think, I can talk to people. And I, I went with it. So you've got your outer gatekeepers, you've got your inner gatekeepers, and then you've got the sense that, you know, there's going to be a fully formed book proposal that arrives in your head, and you're going to wake up and write it out, and and off you go. And yeah, that doesn't happen for most of us. <laughs> One of the of my favorite lines in the book is uh, when you, you write that today's gatekeepers guard a wall that has been breached at many points. Now, that, I think, refers back to the old days where you really, unless you could get a book deal, you were really going to have a problem. But yep. now there's so many options. In fact, I don't think I hear people say, oh, I got a book deal. 
I, I think people yeah. just come out with a book now because there's so many options, and, and you talk about that. But the bigger issue, which is probably never, ever going to go away, are these inner gatekeepers. And it seems like that's even bigger now or, or always yeah. has been. Yeah. And, you know, the gatekeepers, you know, there used to be as well, you you know, 20 years ago, before the world of blogs, you had to pitch a magazine editor to yes. get your ideas out of the world, right? I mean, there is nothing standing in the way of anyone listening to this right now from if you have an idea of putting it out in the world that's going to reach some of the you know, in a way that's going to reach some of the people who would find value of it, whether that's in a blog, you know, and there's you, there are many holes in that that fence of, of people who are saying these are the thoughts that get to be seen. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I mean, a knuckleheaded podcaster can build a worldwide audience with millions of downloads. Come on, people. <laughs> Anybody, you can right. do this. Right, right. You don't even have to be, you can podcast, you can make videos. People yeah. are finding so many ways. And it's, it's a, so it's such an exciting time, actually, because people are finding so many ways to share their ideas mm -hmm. and, and reach audiences. Are you sick of your competitors outranking you in search results? Wish there was an easier way to get more Google traffic? What if I told you that you could monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings, and then get clear and simple advice on what to do to fix it so you can increase your website visibility on Google for free? With the new Ahrefs Webmaster Tools, you can do it. They'll help you quickly improve your site's Google visibility by showing you over 100 technical issues that might be holding back your site's search performance, as well as how to simply fix them. Plus, the tool shows the sites that link to you, so you'll know your most linked pages, and the keywords your pages are ranking for in order to tweak your content and increase your monthly organic search traffic. This used to be something reserved for professional SEOs, who had special knowledge and access to expensive tools, but now you can do this in minutes with Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free. And this isn't one of those 14-day free trial offers. It's a super powerful tool that'll do a full website audit for you and keep working for you for free. You know, when you realize just how valuable this free tool is and how much it can help grow your business, you might want to think about showing your appreciation by sending the host of the Marketing Book Podcast a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon. Something to think about. Just putting it out there. <laughs> I'm kidding. Not really. But seriously, we've been using Ahrefs at my firm for years, and I'm delighted to have them back as a sponsor. Check out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools at ahrefs.com slash AWT. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. I'll also include the link in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com and include a video that shows you how it works. Before we go much further, I want to ask you to tell about this survey you did with uh, nonfiction authors, um, because there's one specific number, I think it was um, a 6% yes. <laughs> about the nothing turned out like they thought it would be. But tell, tell us about this survey with over 400 authors. Yes, and, and for which I have, I have you to help. Thank, thank for that, Douglas. Uh, so I was researching this book, and I was all filled with, I'm going to you know, interview hundreds of authors for this book to expand the experience beyond my own. Um, and, you know, I should really have set just, big goals for yourself, Anne. I know, I know. It was crazy. Um, this was early in the pandemic, so I was, like, fired up. You know, I that the, my response to the pandemic was to just, just jump into this work so hard that I couldn't think of anything else. But I should have talked to you because, um, you know, you interview people every week. And so you know how much work is involved. I mean, I started doing this, I, I would read people's books, and I prepare for the interview, and then I interview, and then I take the notes, and I make the transcript. I'm like, holy caboli, I can't do hundreds of these, or the book will come out in about 20, 30, something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not going to work. So I created a, a I, I obviously continue to interview people, but at a more manageable pace. And I did a, a created a survey for nonfiction authors. So with a survey, of course, the problem is um, not only writing the questions in a in a in a clever way so that you get meaningful answers, but then getting people to take the darn thing. So I was sharing it, um, and Douglas, you generously shared it with the authors of the Marketing Book Podcast. I have a list of all the hundreds of authors, and I thought, I, I rarely use it. Um, but this, I think, they would be very interested in doing. 
And I got a, a, a lot of response from them. So it was fantastic. Um, people, you know, there are a few open-ended questions in the survey. And when you give a bunch of writers open-ended questions, you get a lot of... <laughs> I didn't think of that. Yeah. 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 My other category was huge and I have spreadsheets filled with all these wonderful comments and it's just fantastic. I just, it just makes me happy every time I look at it. Well, they also probably thought, I'm going to, the person that's going to read this probably understands me. That that special torture, that that special journey they've had. Yeah, yeah. So the, the the comments, you know, advice they give to others and things that surprise them, that was just fantastic. Um, so, so I, yeah, not only do you interview authors for this, but you actually help us research our books. So many thanks to you, Douglas. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> but the, 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 the 6%, so one of the things I asked, one of the questions in the survey was, you know, did your, how closely did your uh, finished manuscript match the outline? That's that it. you had, that you started with, right? Because actually, when you are traditionally published, you submit as part of your book proposal an outline, and so there's a sense to think it's like, oh, they bought the book based on that outline. I'm that's that's got to be what I deliver, right? Mm-hmm. So the ex- it was an exact match for a full six percent. <laughs> and the reason I mentioned that is because what you said. The, some of the head trash you were experiencing when you thought, uh, no, I don't know exactly what this is going to be. Well. Neither do 94% of the authors. Precisely. When they look back, uh, they didn't end up with the same book they thought they were going to write. Yeah, yeah. And because when you get into it, even if you, you think that you know, you know really well what you're doing, you, you find that you, you figure out stuff more, either about your topic or about what your readers might be interested in and how you want to uh, present that to them. So, yeah, I think we outgrow our outlines. This has happened to me with every book I've done. This is my uh, fifth book. And I get halfway through a draft and then I'm like, whoop, halt, pull it apart, put it together a different way. Uh, now this is what I'm doing. Um, and so it's super validating to see that uh, everyone experiences. Some people it's smaller changes, some people it was major changes, and some people just said it was an entirely new book. <laughs> but then they're this 6%, so bless them, who, who yeah. knew exactly what they were doing. Well, it's, probably those, it's probably those engineers. I've, yeah, I've yeah. interviewed a number of engineers. No, I'm kidding. So <laughs> let's get back to the six inches between the, the writer's ears, <laughs> or any content creator, uh, and talk about purpose. You write that a strong sense of purpose, just like with the servant uh authorship. Mm -hmm. A strong sense of purpose guides many of the critical decisions you'll make about audience and genre, what to include and what to leave out and what kind of research to do, the tone and style of your prose and and more. What about this purpose? What if this, like your book outline, what if your purpose doesn't arrive fully formed? What can people do to start to uncover or discover their sense of purpose? Right, right. So, um, you know, the, the purpose comes from, from two questions, really, which is, uh, you know, who, who are the people that you would really like to reach? So, who's, who's an audience that you'd like to reach and target? Um, and given that, what effect would you like to have on them? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it's inspiring them to take action. Maybe it's something. Um, so, you know, those two things set you on your path to your purpose. Now, what is really interesting uh, is that when you start putting your work out into the world, when you start writing for people, you may discover that um, the audience is slightly different than you thought. Or you may discover even that the effect you have on people is slightly different than you thought. So one of the really wonderful things about publishing, whether it's publishing a blog that you are regularly showing up for a group of readers or a book, um, is that this doesn't it seems one way, but it doesn't really need to be one way. You can pay attention. You can see what's happening. And often you're, the world will kind of guide you towards an ongoing purpose or, or as you adjust that sense of purpose for your content and what you're doing. It's, it's very uh, – I've seen this experience myself, um, but I've seen it as well. I talked to other uh, authors uh, like Kim Scott who wrote Radical Candor and – People came back and said, you know, Kim, this is fascinating, but, uh, you know, I am a, a minority in this leadership role, and I don't feel I can do that. It's too risky, you know. So mm-hmm. these comments came back, and now she's published another book called Just Work. It's about, um, a, you know, equality in the workplace, and, and not, it's a open and accessibility, and, a, you know, how do we how do we treat each other better so that the work can, workplace can be a just 
place. Um, so she listened, you know, she wrote, but she listened. It wasn't a one-way uh, street. So it's, it's fascinating. Yes, and hopefully we'll get some feedback on May 13th. Uh, yeah, that would be fantastic. I'm I'm all ears. I want to listen. Yeah, I'd love to hear from uh, listeners. I'm excited to try this. But there's one thing that you you, you sh- talk about several different ways that you can uh, help better discover your purpose. And the one that I'd never heard of was what you call the lottery legacy. What it doesn't mean playing the lottery, but what is it? <laughs> um, I got this this idea from uh, Trista Harris, who is a uh, futurist for philanthropic. Uh, organizations and consultants and things. So uh, she, she tries to help people figure out what, you know, and organizations figure out what their purpose is. So her, her lottery exercise is this, is um, imagine that you win the lottery. What, like, let's say two or three years later, and you don't blow it all in day one. I mean, so you, you, you don't blow it all. Once you get through that first rush of, you know, ooh, I'm going to do this or do that, um, what would you do? What would you do if, if money were no object and you wanted to have an impact? What what legacy would you want to leave? Um, and that gets you thinking very creatively about what's really important to you um, and what are some of the, the things. You know, that's one way to sort of really trigger your thoughts uh, in this in this kind of long term thinking by removing the constraints that we're always tied to about. Yeah, but I have the mortgage next week, <laughs> or yeah, we but we have to make payroll. You know, what when you can take those constraints away a little bit, um, that's when you can think more creatively about your sense of purpose. Yeah, it's on page five and six, and it was a while before I got to page seven because <laughs> I started <laughs> I started scribbling things down and thinking. Dang it, Ann Janser, you got me thinking. I hate having to do that. <laughs> Let's talk about expertise. I found this interesting. You write that. For many years, you thought the path to writing a nonfiction book was as follows. It's, it's two parts. One, dedicate years to a subject and become an expert. At some point, you'll have at least a book's worth of stuff to write about. <laughs> yeah. Two, write the book. You then explain that's not actually how it works. And also, explain what you mean when you write that writing a book is not about being an expert. It's about becoming one. Yeah, yeah. I found that it, a bit liberating. It's it's very liberating and it's but it's so true. Um I think if you write the book with a sense of serving your audience, right? With a sense of I'm going to create something that has value for them. Uh, you will do research. You will talk to people. You will think deeply about it. There's no way to write a book without thinking really deeply about your topic. Um, and what happens is you will definitely deepen your expertise. You will talk to people. They will expand your perspective. Um, by the time you have literally written the book on a topic you have also figuratively written the book on a topic right you right you know that's well it's um, like you talk about writing a book about writing yeah yeah right exactly it made me a better writer each of these books that i i write is making me a better writer um it's making me better at whatever it is the book's topic is because um even if it's things that i knew about i'm more diligent about doing them it's like i wrote the book i have to use my process every time i can't skip the step this time because i'm feeling lazy because i know i'll regret it mm-hmm. <laughs> things like that well one other thing you mentioned is that you're when you write uh, and as an author, your authority is based not on what you know, your, your expertise, but what others recognize that you know. Explain that. Yeah, so I think people often uh, mistake, they, they conflate expertise and authority. So, so expertise, yeah, is what you know. Uh, authority is your ability to influence others. And those are different things. So if I wanted to know, you know, the status of the vac of a specific vaccine, I probably will listen to what Anthony Fauci says about it rather than going and finding the one scientist who developed the vaccine. He's probably most expert in that vaccine, but I want someone who's going to explain it in a way that I get it, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, a lot of really wonderful nonfiction authors are people who have done the, the secondary research. They've talked to people and then they distill it. Uh, you know, Malcolm Gladwell does this a lot. He puts stories and distill things and researches heavily, but he wasn't inherently an expert on his topic when he started working on it. Um, so authority, our ability to influence others comes from a lot of things, including our expertise and our credentials, but also even just our ability to uh, connect with people and to understand what they need and to serve it to them in a way that makes sense to them. So we can earn 
we have to earn our authority. We don't just get to claim it. Yes. It reminds me of uh, when we're working with a company and we're going to maybe help them uh, create content to, uh, you know, pitching. Uh, teaching is the new pitching. And, and along the lines of Marcus Sheridan's books, they ask you answer. We'll say, you know, a lot of these questions you all get, you should probably be answering on your website. Uh, and you can even use it during the sales process. And sometimes the the business, the client will say, but but everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> no. right. Well, first off, no, they don't. But who else is answering the question? That right. then gives them all kinds of authority. And it reminds me of what you said about when you were writing subscription marketing. You were working with all these companies that understood this, but but no one was taking time to distill it and uh, explain it to a much, much larger audience. Right, right. And, you know, so authority it, it, authority is very much like brand. They're, if you're a company, they're very linked, I suspect. You know, you if you start answering the questions, you become the one place people go to look for answers to that topic. And it's, it's content marketing, you know, right there mm-hmm. <laughs> in action. Well, let me just throw a whole bunch of metaphors at you. Let's get down right. to brass tacks, Ann Janser, <laughs> and explain the following advice. Ditch the niche. And pick a pond. Ditch the niche and pick a pond. Okay, so uh, raise your hand if you've ever been told, you know, you have to find your niche for your audience, for your right, for your business. And it is absolutely great advice. However, the idea of the niche sounds so constraining, doesn't it? I mean, and, you know, Douglas, you get pushback on this too, right? Yes, yes. Right. There's always this pushback from a niche. So this is an inherent, you know, every marketing consultant in the world is saying, you know, pick a niche audience and every business is like, but everybody wants it. Um, everyone wants to read my book. So so let's just let's try a new metaphor. <laughs> so all together, see if we can get happy with this one, which is the idea of connected ponds and waterways, you know. So I spent my 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 misspent childhood youth was in the, in the northern uh, woods of northern Wisconsin, and in northern Wisconsin, northern Minnesota, there's just a whole mess of lakes. It's like more water than land, it seems like, um, and you can go on a canoe for days on end, and and only occasionally have to get up and and pick it up between the places. So, I came up with this metaphor of why don't you try to just focus on a specific pond that is maybe connected to another pond or maybe a river or maybe a large lake or but something. Put the boat in a pond to put get started. Put the boat started. in a pond to get started, right. And, uh, you know, it, I guess there's a, or maybe you're seeding the pond with fish. And when this pond is filled, the fish are going to swim on to the next one and they will take you into your next group of audience. But, um, you know, it's, it's a different set of skills to uh, navigate a small pond versus to just go out in the middle of the ocean, which is what a lot of people want to do. They're like, yeah, my book is for everybody. That's like the Pacific Ocean. Come on, you know, you need some major equipment to go out there. So, um, so yeah, so, and instead of thinking of the niche as a constraining thing, it's like, okay, I'm shutting out everyone else. No, just think of, I'm putting out the welcome mat. I, I'm mixing my metaphors terribly. I, I told putting, you, we're going to go, we're going to go, we're, uh, Metaphor crazy here. It's a metaphor mess. Okay. I'm putting out the welcome mat for this particular audience. That's what I'm doing. I'm not shutting everyone else away, but I'm really thinking about and talking to these people's needs. Yes. Um, It's just like you mentioned with Kim Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Right. She started with one and then it migrated over to another pond. Right, right, right. And, you know, people say, well, like subscription marketing, I really thought I was writing for marketers and large corporations because that's who I'd worked with as clients. Um, And they pretty much just gave one big collective yawn when they saw the book, to be honest, the first edition. It took a while for them to figure out that it was related to them. But uh, customer customer success and customer experience people were all over the book. And uh, people with doing small startups and the whole subscription box industry, they were all over this. So it was like I actually found um, I had targeted one pond and all these adjacent adjacent waterways were all uh chipping in and saying hey this this is good let's let's share this book here so um it's not you're not necessarily being exclusionary but it it just guides you through the writing process it guides you through uh your decision making process and you write more clearly and better if you have a sense of who you're writing to mm-hmm. yeah. 
So Anne Janzer lives kind of a glamorous life, and uh, I want to read this one uh, section from page 53. She talks about, this is kind of like a day in the life of Anne Janzer. <laughs> and she says it's about, you know, this is how publishing works. You get an agent who sells your book to a wise and patient editor at a major publishing house, earning you a healthy advance on your royalty so you can spend time crafting your masterpiece. That editor supports you through the writing, waiting patiently for you to deliver the manuscript. Once you do that, you return to a life of quiet contemplation and writing, <laughs> interrupted only to check the galleys, sign copies for admiring fans, and participate in a whirlwind publicity tour. <laughs> and it's not uh, that's not how it works uh, for you. Or what's uh, talk about the different paths to publishing? We touched on it earlier, but I think it's important for people to realize that if that's the only uh, paradigm that they have, vague though it might be, uh, they're in for a big surprise. Yeah, I, I blame Hollywood for all these years. You know, because uh, you know we've we've seen this in movies. This is what the author's life is, or you know, we write about this over. You know, this is what it used to. They used to. It's pretend this is what it was. I don't think it. But ever it is really like was. that for you. Well, well, of course, but but for everybody, no. Except for trips to Taco Bell. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and the and the agent and the the like. Uh, yeah. Um. So even if you know, I, I'm gonna guess that maybe that does sort of seem people think they have some golden thought of being an author that that is what it is, and <laughs> it's it's not. Um. And if you talk to published authors, and it it doesn't matter. Quite honestly, whether they were published by you know a random house or uh, or have published on their own as an indie author or anywhere in between, they're all dealing with similar sets of issues. You know, they're all responsible for their book marketing and promotion. Um, they are all you know it's 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 not what it once was. The publishing industry is in such flux, of course, that, um, you know, they've, they've laid off half of their publicists, half of their marketing organizations. Um, so, uh, my advice to you is to very clearly understand what the publishing model is today and what your options are, um, and then to form sort of a realistic picture of what, what it entails from you as an author and what you're willing to bring to this. But it is certainly not um, just about the book. <laughs> it's not just about writing the book. <laughs> right. And that's where it gets into going to a hybrid publisher or publishing it yourself and hiring an editor. I mean, there's just, it's like wide open now, sort of much like the, the image of all the gates that have been knocked down. Yes. Yeah. It, it, publishing has really ha had a huge, uh, huge change in recent years. And you have a number of, um, you know, so I am an indie author, so I hire professional cover designers and editors and copy editors and, you know, do all of this. But I, I figured if I have to do all the writing myself, which obviously I do, um, and, and if I have to do all the marketing myself, which, you know, really, even though this is a marketing book podcast, let me just say the book marketing is a, it's a slightly different beast and it's taken, had quite a learning curve. Then how hard can the middle bit be the publishing and the distribution. Turns out, you know, it's stuff that you you can figure out. It's again, that was a huge learning curve. Um, I've developed over five years, five books. I mean, um, but but there are also other groups and services and consultants or hybrid presses and things that can help you through the middle the middle bit, which is the turning your manuscript into published uh, book and ebook and, you know, audio book and all of those oh, things. Oh, yeah. And there was another book on the show a while back by Tanya Hall, the CEO of Greenleaf Publishing, and it was called Ideas, Influence, and Income. And I'll include a link to it in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. But she goes into uh, all the nuts and bolts of, of, of some of those specifics uh, right. that, that, that people might find uh, interesting for the, if they want to learn more about that. Right. <clears throat> now, Ann Janser, like I said, she's such a good sport. She's such a good trooper. <laughs> Watch how she handles this question because this question really irritates her. So, Ann Janser. How long did it take you to write this book? <laughs> no, don't ask yes. me. <laughs> and, and why does that question really irritate authors? Well, because, you know, what 
what are you trying to get at? We, you know, do you count the time that I spent, you know, noodling this idea over the past few years? Do you count the time I wake up at five in the morning and it's like, oh, oh, hey, that's a really good idea for a chapter. I mean, what, what time do you count in that? Um, I, I think people want to hear one of two things when they, when they ask that question. They want I think to hear, they want an easy answer. They, they either, they want, well, they either want the easy answer. It's like, oh yeah, you know, a couple months you can do this fine. You're good to go. Um, which, you know, I, I, I see people promise, you know, write a book on a weekend. And I'm thinking, hmm, I don't know. Uh, you could, but I'm not sure what kind of book that's going to be. So, so I'm not going to give you a write a book on the weekend answer. Um, but then they might also want that it's so long. It's like, oh, 10 years. Or like, well, good, then I never, I can't write a book. You know, they also uh-huh. maybe want it as a gatekeeper kind of thing, too. Uh, and right? a, a, a mental gatekeeper. An a internal. mental gatekeeper. Yeah. An internal. It's like, well, I, pos- I don't have that kind of time. So if you hear just how what a terrible gruel is, is, is it's awful and it's a marathon and you're going to hate it, then it's like, oh, thank heavens, I don't have to you know, feel guilty about not writing a book, I'm, you know, it's way too hard. Um, and that, you know, I don't think that's the right answer either. It's not hard. It's it's fantastic journey. It does take, I mean, one of the questions in the survey, did it take more or less time than you thought it would? Um, not asking how much, just more or less time than you expected, right? That was the question. Right. Um, and about 30% said it took you know, about as much time as they expected. Um, most of the answers it took, most of the rest, it took more, either much more or, or either more or much more time. Um, there was like a couple who said, oh, it was less time. I'm like, oh, good for you. That's good. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's usually more time than you expected, but, you know, it depends on your expectations. Right. You know, so. And that's why that is, was such a great opening to a pretty in-depth discussion of all the different steps that you should do. In other words, you don't just suddenly sit down on a Saturday morning and and write the book. It's like yeah. uh, building a building. There's there's quite a, a few different steps. And let me mention that you've got this acronym SPRINT, which is uh, start with the easy part, prime the pump, relax your standards and write, incubate with intention, notice what's missing and add it, and trust your future self. Now, each one of these is a section of, uh, of the book. But I want to ask you about the relax your standards and write part. So whenever someone asks me to relax my standards, it's really never a problem, Ann Janser. But <laughs> as it relates to writing, it reminded me of an expression. You have some other folks who talk about this. And um, uh, Ann Hanley, I remember reading something she wrote, and she said her expression is barf up a first draft. Yeah, <laughs> And yep. I always found that so comforting, believe it or not. It's like, gosh, don't keep beating yourself up. And I think it's because I'm like a lot of people who, Try to edit it and make it perfect the first first round. Mm. Yeah, which is which is a dangerous dangerous thing to do. You know, yeah, because you 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 you're bringing that inner critic in way too early, so that the you know sort of the creative part of your writing process is going to be shut down by you know every time it puts forth an idea. There's another part of your brain going, oh, Douglas, passive voice, really? You know, come on, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, or that middle school English teacher who. Maybe he said something about what a terrible writer I am or something, you know, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, great writing never, great writing rarely happens in a first draft. It happens in a revision. So you've got to give yourself permission. But but the, the step before that, which is something that I think, you know, if, if anyone listening to this is thinking, well, you know, maybe I could write a book, but I don't know. Um, the step before that is priming the pump. And priming the pump is something you can start doing on a book that you might write years from now. And that means start taking a topic or an idea or a thought in the book that you might want to put in the book and start writing about it. Write, write a blog post, uh, you know, maybe expand it into a, you know, a podcast or uh, interview people about it or, you know, but, but start working with that idea in other formats. Start getting your words around it. Start getting your brain around it. Um, so, you know, people sometimes write a bunch of blogs. I wrote blog posts that ended up working into chapters in the book. And I, I did uh, little online webinars for my writing community last spring while I was working on topics of this book. I thought, well, I'll put together a webinar on it. I'm not writing it. I'm talking about it, but I had to structure it and think about it. And I got feedback on it. So I'm like, I was priming the pump for writing so that when I was ready to write, there was a lot of stuff ready to, to come out. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> in the course of this conversation, we've shared some stories most of mine aren't true, but that's not important. Um, 
But in the book, you talk about the importance of using stories and anecdotes, which are so unbelievably powerful. And I've, I've learned, I say that now after having read enough books about the effects stories have on our brains. Yeah. But you included that, I guess, to, to make sure people knew it. But do you find that that's a struggle for nonfiction authors uh, to, to include stories and anecdotes? Yeah, I think um, I think there's a certain number who just want, you know, they've spent the time learning and mastering these abstractions and they want to get to it. Um, there's other people, you know, I personally, from my own personal experience, I know that I have felt reticent about storytelling, even though I know it's important. So it's something that I intentionally work at. And so here's the, the secret. If you are someone who feels any of this, um, it's really easy to practice. You know, we get better with practice. Uh, so my challenge for myself for 2021 was, was like, I'm really going to get better at this. So I have got a journal, and once a day, I just sit and I write a real short little story or anecdote into this journal. I've done it every day so far this year. Um, and it's getting easier and easier. Um, some of them are, right. I'm not showing them at anyone, right? I mean, some of them are just, it's like, I could rework this into something. Others are just like, oh, wait, <laughs> the story kind of died halfway through. It's like, okay, fair enough. Um, and mine are all real world stories and anecdotes because I'm still nonfiction, right? Like things that um, you've encountered or... Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's even memories from, because, you know, I'm not like out and about in the world much uh, right now. So a lot of it's out of memory as opposed to real interactions. But yeah, just even things from memory. But the thing is, it just, it's just like practicing a muscle. Mm -hmm. And um, I found that if somebody asks me, it's much easier for me to just like almost instantly summon up a great illustrating story than it was when I started this. It's it's like it's changed my ability to do that. So it's, it's very, it's, Definitely a skill worth developing because um, stories are so powerful. They really connect us and, and make points so much better. Yeah, they're like brain crack. Exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. Well, now, is one of the stories, though, about getting the flat tire on the way to the, to the vaccine? Well, that was, a, that was a story. See, that came up. It's like you, you talked about something going wrong and like, hey, you know, stuff goes wrong all the time. We just got to roll with it, you know, and yeah. then there you go. So, yeah, yeah, that was a good story. That was definitely well, it was so good that even this knucklehead remembered it. And uh, <laughs> it was a perfect story at the right time. There are four sections in this short book, and one of them is about spreading the word, promoting your book and its its ideas. Yeah. And that's significant, I think. <laughs> uh, Jay Bears often said, uh, you have to market your marketing. Uh, and yeah. this is sort of like that. And you write that the single biggest surprise most authors have about the writing process is the amount of work involved after their book is published. And I guess some of that came through in the in the survey. Why do you think that's such a surprise? And is it is it really just the first time authors? Do you think? Um, a lot of it is the first time authors or or people who really thought the publisher was going to do more. Oh, uh, I've heard from people like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but even those who are self published, it's it's or indie published or with hybrid presses. It's just there's there's a lot of work. Um, uh, or, mm, let me put it differently. There's a lot of advice about what you should do, and it doesn't necessarily all fit you. But if you just go looking online for advice, it's like, this author does this, this does that, you will very quickly have an infinite list, and you will burn yourself out. So, that you know, it's really important you know, to figure out, again, to return to that sense of servant authorship. It's like, so wait, how can I get my book in front of those people who are going to most find value from it? And that actually helps you determine what to do after the book's out, too. Um, I'd like to say that your book is like a beacon for your ideas in the world. So you put it out there, it's going to attract some of those people. You have to kind of light the beacon and figure out where to put it, right? Um, and, and then figure out how you can go about engaging with those people and furthering that purpose in a way that doesn't... Um, you know, drive you nuts or burn you out or, you know, it's it's something, your author platform is something that you live in. It's so make sure it's a comfortable home. <laughs> yes. And there was, uh, in, in the part about getting the word out, you write, market in a way that's fun, Jot, not just in a way you think will pay. In other words, like you just said, some, don't, don't do these things that are going to make you feel like you're banging your head against the wall. But the other thing that was so good, and this is 
like any kind of marketing or activity, you say, you write, choose activities you can sustain over time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which reminds me of the, the statistic that most podcasts never make it to episode eight. Oh, because wow. people's, and, and I think I've heard most corporate blogs never actually make company blogs never make it past the fifth post. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like they're, maybe they're checking the box, but then they realize, oh, wait a minute, I can't, I can't keep doing this. I didn't realize how much time this takes or effort or people or whatever. So it was a, it, it, it brought to mind um, a few other things. Now, and uh, one of the last things I, I want to talk to you about is um, trolls and uh, detractors, haters. And, you know, they really don't bother me that much. And I, uh, the reason why, not to talk about myself too much, but I'm the youngest of four children. And so for me, I still crave any kind of attention. I, you know, I, I can't get enough. So when people start hating on me, I'm like, <laughs> it's like when my older brothers would beat me up and, and I would cry. And they would say, hey, Douglas, come on. We wouldn't do this if we didn't like you. Come on, buddy. Get over here. <laughs> but let's I'm t- the youngest of four, too. So. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, so we're kindred spirits. Yeah, yes, we are. We are. Yeah, but let's let's talk about just one word. Word of the day: lugubrious, <laughs> which which is an adjective meaning mournful, dismal, or gloomy, especially in an affected, exaggerated, or unrelieved manner. Why does that word light Ann Janser's fuse? So that's the story behind this one, which I actually thought long and hard about sharing, was uh, my first book about writing, the writer's process. I submitted for a, a paid review from Kirkus Reviews, which is a legitimate industry review site, and they will do paid reviews. And then you get to choose whether or not to post the review. And the reviewer I got back, the review I got back basically said two things. One, why would anybody ever need this book? <laughs> Which is like, oh, dang. Uh, And the second was, the writing is lugubrious. I'm like, wait. Lugubrious. You know, I'm I'm a real Eeyore kind of person, as you can tell, Douglas. I mean, I was shocked. I was shocked. I'm like, And you paid for that. I paid for that. Um, So clearly, I didn't run it. um, But actually, the the funniest thing is that it... um, you know, I, I I included the story of it. I thought about it. It's like, should I include it? Are the readers going to think, you know, my goodness, she must be a terrible writer. It's like, no, this is pretty late in the book. They're, they'll have made up their own mind about it. Um, and I I put it in there and, and shared this story about how, you know, it's a lesson in, in just, okay, just try to put yourself in the, maybe this was an overstressed uh, grad student doing these reviews for payment and clearly not in my pond who I was reaching with this mm-hmm. book and um, hit him on a bad day and, you know, it's just got to take these things for what they are and keep going. I reached out to the people I knew had told me that they were getting value from this book, that they found it made a difference, and I just kind of went with that. But we always focus on the negative. But we do. So, but, but I, you know, I learned to let it go and kind of almost found it funny now. So I included the story, and I recently, I, I submitted the book to um, Publishers Weekly's uh, Book Life, which is the independent author's arm for the nonfiction uh, uh, book award. And I got back something, and the reviewer of this one really commented on how much she loved that I shared that story of the bad reviews. So it's funny, it ended up giving me a good review in a roundabout way many years later. <laughs> well, that's funny. And you even talk about a, a little bit of math there, where if, if you get detractors, it actually means you are, you're probably getting even more fans. I mean, at least you're getting yeah. a reaction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think of it like, you know, assuming that your marketing for the book is relatively spot on, right? And you're not marketing, you know, a, a romance into a sci-fi genre or something. You know, you're you're kind of spot spot on with your marketing. It's going to be like a bell curve, right? And there's going to be people at the far right end of the bell curve who are going to be just huge fans. There's going to be some people at the far left of the bell curve who are going to say, you know, why would anyone need this book and the writing is lugubrious? <laughs> <laughs> So, um, you know, when you start to see those outlying bits of the bell curve that your marketing is working and you're reaching a, a rel- relatively large mass of people. Well, and here you are able to talk about it. So it's like in my misspent youth, uh, I, I did some boxing and I was actually hospitalized twice for concussions, uh-huh. but I'm, I'm still here to talk about it. And after getting hit, well, not just by my older brothers, but, you know, in, in these boxing matches, you realize it's not the end of the world. Um, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> And and actually, you know, in writing a book, you don't actually have to 
spend time in a hospital. Uh, true, so, <laughs> true. It's... There's really no tissue damage uh, either. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So here you are, and I'm so glad you were able to put that story to use. Uh, it it really captivated me, but also it was a way of saying, look, look it's not the end of the world. Even no. a big time review from Carcass might might beat you up, but everything's going to be okay. So. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. You got to be able to to when you put your ideas out in the world, you're opening yourself up to a little bit. So you got to be willing to just say that's the cost of reaching the people that I want to reach and serving them. Yeah. So, Ann Janser, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? I would hope it would be this idea of no matter what you're writing, you know, what's the difference you're trying to make for your specific audience? You know, can you be a servant? author with this blog post, with this email? Can you do that with no matter what you're writing? That's mm-hmm. what I would hope that people would take away. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and inspire as well, like you've talked about. So I think you may have already answered this question, but what is one thing a listener could do today to put in action an idea from your book, if, if not the, the, the story a day journal approach, which I, was yeah. new to me? Yeah, the story a day. That's a that's a fun one. If you want to do that, and you know, send me an email. Let me know how that goes, because uh, I'm, I'm having a blast with it. Um, but I would say also just try priming the pump. Pick one little thing, maybe that might be related to something that you want to write about, and you know, just try what what if you could pick a little bit of it and write a blog post on it. What would you write? You know, what what could you or have a conversation or you know. Do a, a go talk about it in the clubhouse room. Just start putting your words around the things, the ideas that you want to share. Start doing that now. Don't hold them back until the book is ready, like in some secretive closet somewhere. Start talking with people, uh, writing them, sharing them, getting getting them into into words and thoughts that end into other people's heads. Great. Well, are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? I know you're. You, you, know, you know about a lot of books coming out. I, I read widely. Um, but there's one that came out recently that is so interesting. Um, and it's one that I actually talk about uh, coming up in, in the book. Um, it's called You Are What You Risk by Michelle Walker. Um, she wrote a book called The um, The Gray Rhino. And it was about policy and economic risks that we see coming and don't do anything about. And in the book, I tell the story about how people kept coming up to her and talking about the book's personal impact on their lives. And she's like, but I don't do, self, you know, and we need more about that. She says, I don't do self-help books. And, but that's what people wanted to understand their personal assessment of risk. So she wrote this wonderful book, You Are What You Risk, and she talks about how we have different risk fingerprints. And as we come out of this pandemic, I think this is so relevant to us all personally, as well as in business. I mean, what what are the risk fingerprints of your customers? Do you understand their their personal or their cultural risk context? I think this would actually is kind of a brilliant marketing book. Don't tell Michelle I said it was a marketing book, but I think there's, uh, because it, or, you know, it's it's psychology, it's, it's sort of cultural work, it's very personal, um, but we are in a phase right now where all of us are looking at the risks of every decision we make, you know, mm-hmm. so um, I think it's just super timely, and it's so fun because it's a book that came out of her audience telling her what they needed from her. Yes, and you know, there's a Another book that's going to be on the show soon by Joe Polizzi, uh, Content Inc. And yes. he wrote the first edition, and he's going to update it. And it's such an, it's very much about, well, the the first one I read. I'm sure this will have uh, this will have the same idea. But basically, companies build an audience, or anyone builds an audience, but mainly companies, and they build an audience, and then their audience tells them what they want. Yes, <laughs> it's exactly yes. what you're talking about with Michelle's book. Exactly, yeah, and I love content. Oh, I love the first edition of Content Inc. So I hardly wait to see what Joe does with it now. But yes, that that is the same principle applied to yes to businesses. Build your audience; they tell you what to do. Yep. Excellent. Well, at marketingbookpodcast.com on your this episode's website page, we'll include links to everything linkable, the books you've mentioned, your site, your LinkedIn profile, your many past interviews on the Marketing Book Podcast. Um, I'll include the, I'll send you the uh, interview, the, I'm sorry, the survey 
results too. Oh, if you that's want to right. Yeah, those because those are fun to look through. Those are yes, dope. yes. And actually, I'm going to include a link where people can subscribe to the writing practices list. It's, Fantastic. Uh, it's every other week. Is that right? Yep, every other week. And I do once once a month. I do a, a, a drawing for a free book giveaway just because to share whatever I've been reading or find fun. So, oh, wow. Yeah. That's more than the Marketing Book Podcast host does. Well, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Raise oh. your game, Douglas. Yeah. Oh, please. <laughs> I'm yeah. joking. No, no, I, it's true. It's true. Well, we're going to get on Clubhouse. I mean, come on. It's, yeah. the, it's the little things, Ann Janser. It um, is. It is. I'm looking forward to that. And, and now a word to you, dear listener. Please do me one Big favor, and I'm not going to ask you for a five-star review, although if you do want to do one, I'd, I'd appreciate it, and, and I will send you a laptop sticker. But please reach out to the author, Anne, and in whatever format you're most comfortable with, LinkedIn or her website or uh, Twitter, and thank her for being a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast. There are over one million podcasts, and Anne Janter has decided to be on this one and spend time with us. It will really make her day especially after having expended so much blood, sweat, and tears, and, and, and two interviews with this knucklehead. And also, like you started to mention there, and uh, the guests on this show get the biggest kick out of hearing from Marketing Book Podcast listeners. So Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and they really, I, I think that a lot of the listeners really appreciate what the, what the authors are, are out there doing. And, 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 and for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app. All these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. And on this episode's website page, we'll also include a link to the Clubhouse chat we're going to have on May 13th. The book is Get the Word Out. Write a book that makes a difference. The author is Ann Janser. And thank you very much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast and letting me interview you twice about the same book. <laughs> it was it gets better every single time, Douglas. Every time. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> and that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you found it helpful. Special thanks to this episode's sponsor, the new Ahrefs Webmaster Tools, which monitor your website's SEO health, backlinks, and organic rankings for free. It's a very advanced free SEO tool that will scan your site and prioritize precisely what you need to fix to improve your search results. And it's so easy to use, why even a podcast host can use it. Check it out at hrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. You can also find a link to it at this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com along with a video that shows you how it works. And remember the words of the late, great Jim Rohn who said, formal education will make you a living, self-education will make you a fortune. And you are listening to the always inspiring and informative Marketing Book Podcast. Okay, we can just stop right there. We're done. We're done. <laughs> okay, let's do the interview.